Well, a big, big thank you to everyone for your support of the Bodacast. One of my favorite things that's come out of this is catching up with people that I haven't talked to in a long time and hearing that you guys are podcast listeners. The platforms, they don't tell me who's listening, so I love finding out that people all over are getting value from it. And in full vulnerability, when we were prepping the first few episodes, I was thinking, who's going to even listen to this? But I've been blown away by the support and it's truly been so much fun. There's some of you who have listened on release day every episode since we started earlier this year, and maybe you're just chain listening to all of these episodes in one sitting, and that seems to be a real popular way of being part of the podcast, and I love that. If you have found value, please do me a huge favor and just leave a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. There's no ads on the Bodacast. I don't know if you're like me, But I hate when you see a podcast with an interesting subject or a great guest and you have to skip like the first five minutes to actually get to anything of value. You know, you can only hear the same pitch for a virtual assistant so many times before you just want to lose your mind. Or having to listen to two people just chit-chat about what food they've been eating. Like, who cares? Sometimes it feels like you're listening to a recording of someone's personal phone call. It's very weird. So, anyway... I try very hard to fit as much of the good stuff into as little time as possible. Ironically long opening for this episode, but I'm excited to share with you about this subject, the most important musical skill in a worship band member. It's one of my most passionate areas. Let's dive in. Who's the best musician that you know? I used to think that the best musicians were the ones who could really shred. You know, the guitarists who could play more notes per second than I could type words per minute. As a guitarist and a wannabe drummer, I aspired to be just like them. And while I never quite reached the level of musical aerobics that I heard from my favorite hardcore bands, I did learn enough to be able to overplay in literally every worship context I was in. It wasn't until I found myself receiving feedback from an elite production director and coaching from a true next-level guitarist that I was shown the greatest skill I could have in my role, restraint. There's a difference between playing simply because that's all you can play and simplicity by design. I've heard many people criticize fast-fingered shredders under the guise of restraint, But these same critics seemed to struggle even making simple Hillsong riffs happen. They were hindered by the limits of their skill, not their skill of using limits. In my opinion, there are four stages of proficiency. So here's a visual illustration. Go ahead and hold out your left hand with your palms out and tuck your thumb in as if you were showing the number four. Your pinky represents level one beginners, people who are just getting started and have a significant amount of progress they need to make. Keep all four of those fingers up and go to your next finger, your ring finger. That represents level two intermediate musicians. They play simply because they lack the skill to do more. Moving on down the line, the third finger is the highest of the group. These are the shredders. They're playing the most the ones who have put in the time and effort to surpass both the beginning pinkies and the simplistic ringers. 
The twos love to criticize the threes out of insecurity, and the threes feel amazing because they can play circles around the ones and twos. Honestly, up until my 20s, I also thought that these threes were the highest echelon of musicianship. There is, however, a level even greater than this. The last finger, your index finger, is about the same height as your ring finger. These are the next level musicians. These level fours play less, not because they're unable to play more, but because they are truly tasteful and skilled in their restraint. Now you're probably wondering, well, what about the thumb? Your thumb represents the hand tied behind the back of the level four musician. They are not limited by ability, they limit themselves by choice. What's the difference? If playing less is the end result for both, why spend the extra effort gaining skill that's never going to be seen? The answer is because skill leaks. If a level 2 and a level 4 musician are both playing the same song, if you listen long enough, you can tell which one is just keeping up with the song and which one the song is effortless to play. There are also moments, just little moments, where the next level musician does something and like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, your eyes are opened and you realize there's more going on under the hood than you can see on the surface. The first of countless advantages to putting in the work on your craft is creativity. Being able to play the song without thinking frees your mind up to add spice to songs that would otherwise be stale. But good luck having the whole band do strategic hits if your bass player is barely keeping up with the chord chart. If you want to create a new arrangement, you've got to have the original one mastered. If I'm playing lead guitar and want to propose a new lead line for a song, you better believe that I'm prepared if the worship leader says, no thanks, and requests the album version. Also, what right do I have to write a new line if I've never taken the time to understand the musical elements of the original? I wouldn't trust a home cook to put together a new take on a dish that they couldn't even cook traditionally. Being overqualified to play a song also frees worship team members to actually worship. Wouldn't that be amazing if your guitarist didn't have his mind stuck in the eternal void between fret and pedalboard? Or if your band could sing along with the songs? It would be almost as if the team that was leading worship were actually the ones leading in worshiping. I'm being sassy, but this is an irreverent podcast, so let's take it a step further. I've known level 3 musicians who would complain about worship songs not being challenging enough. And they truly were good players. These guys could tear up a blues freestyle jam, or pull off 500 BPM blast beats or outshred anyone, at least on the four flashy songs that they knew. But if we took the worship song down from G to G flat, that shredder was in a puddle. They didn't know the number system well enough to let their skill take them below the guitar nut. It was literally impossible for the blast beat drummer to play for two minutes with no fills. I'm not exaggerating either. As part of auditions, I have asked drummers to play an entire song with no cymbals and no fills. Most can't. 
Don't even think about asking John Mayer Jr. to just play chords during the instrumental moment. And since we weren't playing any of the handful of songs that they had plateaued on, the chord charts and music stands were never too far away. These level threes said that they weren't being challenged, but my challenges to them were to learn the number system and to memorize their music. Imagine being a first place NASCAR champion, but you struggled driving to the office because you never learned how to make a right turn. This isn't just external judgment. I was guilty of this too. Proficiency is always on the other side of overcoming your incompetence. And while we usually think of incompetence as not being able to do something, there is definitely the flip side. Incompetence is also the inability to refrain from overplaying. Pardon that double negative. It takes skill both to become musically proficient and to have the control to hold back. In my teams, we are clear that restraint is a creative value. It isn't an optional accessory. It's fundamental to how we design and execute everything we do. So what if the multi-track session has nine keys tracks? Which ones are unnecessary clutter in the mix? Which ones don't work well with our room? Restraint is not just essential for music, but every avenue of creative expression, whether it's lighting design, audio effects, or even on-stage communication. A lot of people claim to do more with less, but restraint is about doing less with more. We've heard that before. Oh, here we do more with less. Well, doing more with less is trying to make the most of your scarcity, but doing less with more is how fine dining restaurants earn Michelin stars. Restraint is having features in your lighting fixtures that your audience will never see. It's creating atmospheres and moments that you can take a breath in, not having a flash of light on every single snare hit. It's choosing not to use iMag in an auditorium so small where the pastor is actually bigger in person than he would be on the screen. It's foregoing haze in a 50-person worship setting. It's staying with one tight camera shot during the salvation invitation instead of getting those creative shots that are probably, in reality, disconnecting people from the message. This is probably a good time to step off my soapbox and tell a personal story of me being humbled. I was 18 years old, fresh into the chapel band at ORU. We were in our then terrible rehearsal space, and I was setting up my amp and pedal board. Now, over the years, we made it a lot better in that room, but I have permanent hearing damage because of the conditions we played in back then. No in-ears, no drum shield, a hundred watt tube amps just chilling in the room with us. Ugh. And like most immature musicians, once I had sound coming out of a speaker, I just let it rip. The rest of the team was filing into the rehearsal space. Meanwhile, here's me, this freshman, shredding away amp at full volume. Well, pretty quickly, our worship director flags me down, and she said just these simple words. Daniel, a lion doesn't have to roar for you to know it's a lion. No further explanation. But it successfully shut me up. A lion doesn't have to roar for you to know it's a lion. I was speechless, probably a combination of having to stop to be able to focus on what that statement even meant, 
and the revelation that hit me once it did. I had never thoughtfully considered why I was overplaying. And it wasn't just in the songs, but anywhere I could, before rehearsal, between takes, behind the announcement person. If I was honest with myself, I could confess it was because I wanted my so-called skills to be seen. It was insecurity that if I wasn't going to be featured in the front of house mix, I would make sure that everyone knew how good I was during the silence. The sad part is that even though I thought I was so advanced because of how many notes per second I could pull off, I couldn't make it through two songs without hitting a bad note. I didn't know the number system. I couldn't tell you what anyone in the band was playing in any of the songs. I might have been a decent guitarist, but I was a pretty lousy musician. So, let's finish with a brief comparison of a plateaued level 3 musician and someone who has attained that next level status. The level 3 musician thinks about only their instrument, but the level 4 musician thinks about the big picture of the entire band. The level 3 can't make it through a set without mistakes, but a level 4 is so well prepared in the songs that it's muscle memory to them. A level 3 relies heavily on the chord charts, but a level 4 flows in the number system with ear training. A level 3 musician thinks they're better than the album arrangement, but a level 4 musician is immersed in the original before making changes. The level 3 has plateaued in their personal practice, but a level 4 attempts new challenges and isn't afraid to suck while learning. The level 3 musician fills any space with their playing, but a level 4 musician would happily leave the stage completely if it would better serve the song or the set. Finally, the level 3 has to make sure everyone knows they're good, but a level 4 musician doesn't have to roar for you to know they're a lion. Hey, thanks for listening. If you've made it all the way through episode 9 and haven't clicked follow on the Bodacast, it would mean the world to me if you would. This podcast is my way to share a decade of failures and growth, and if you want to support it, the best way to do that is to share this episode with your friends. Just click those three dots next to the episode title and then hit share episode. I love growing next level teams. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be talking about the first thing you need to change in your worship team. We'll talk about getting some perspective, how to run a bad rehearsal, and how you are being lied to right now. It's all coming up in these next few months, so be sure to follow, and we'll see you next time.